Alright, well folks, welcome back to COVID College. I'm your co-host, Sean Lonergan. Uh, and I'm your co-host, Jack Povolitis. Welcome back, everybody. And today, we are discussing extracurricular activities that college students have had a bit of a different experience with since the pandemic has come in and flipped our lives upside down. So I'm going to start. I'm going to start start off with a little anecdote with my own personal experience. As I've mentioned in past episodes, I'm a now former college athlete. I <laughs> ran uh, both cross country and track for my school uh, over the course of my four years there. And when the pandemic was just starting to get to that point where classes were being affected and there was the possibility of things starting to shut down, I actually happened to be in North Carolina for indoor Division Three track and field nationals. And what made it so impactful for me was going from a position of, well, I'm here to compete, I'm going to run, I'm going to you know, hopefully get an All-American medal around my neck, represent my school, to am I going to be able to come back? What's what's the deal? Like, this, everything's happening at once. This was right around the time, Jack, where Rudy Gobert was touching all the mics, and and <laughs> the next day he was, he had tested positive, and all NBA got shut down, and I was, that was when I was in transit. So that all happened within a span of 24 hours. Tom Hanks got sick with it. You know when Tom That's Hanks... That's quick. That's a lot very fast yeah. to have happened. Exactly. And you know when people like Tom Hanks get it, stuff's starting to hit the fans. So... That all happened super quick that Thursday of that week. I think it was it was like the second week of March when this all went down. I had gone to the venue and I was doing all my pre-meet warm-up routines. Everybody was, all the athletes were there. It had been announced that they weren't going to have spectators, but the meet was still on. So I was ready to go, but within the next few hours, finally got the news that um, the NCAA had canceled all uh, winter and spring championships. And I didn't quite process it at first. I was like, oh, it's just championships. We can still compete. And then I realized, you know, if championships are canceled, there's no way they're having any sort of spring competition. So it hit me hard. I Like like I said, right after I processed it, I was very emotional. I called my family who was on their way to come uh, watch me compete. And just very emotional, you know, a lot of tears. You know, something that is really important for me to be able to represent my teammates and and my school, my coaches, and to really validate all the work I had put in in the months and years leading up to that moment. So quite emotional for me. I ended up uh, making my way back to campus the next day, and within the next few days, I was off campus, and that's the last time I've seen my teammates in person. So even from a broader perspective, and I don't know if this is similar with you, Jack, but I've I've been missing the, the little things that you take for granted, just hanging out with mm-hmm. your, your teammates and your friends, um, and not having that, and having that cut short. And for me, it was being a senior. I'm not going to have an opportunity to come back and see them again. So that's another thing that I've really grappled with, and I'm sure thousands of other college athletes have that have had that same experience. I don't know how it's been for you. I know you've participated uh, as part of your ultimate frisbee club at your school. What what have your what were your feelings during that time, and what do they continue? to be um, as we speak. Yeah, no, I think um, it's interesting because there's some really similar feelings to your experience of that sort of just surreal, surrealness of it where it just happens so fast. But the difference is, well, so for clarity's sake, I'm on the ultimate Frisbee club team. And yes, it's a real sport. (laughs) And yes, I should have a full ride scholarship is essentially what I'm saying. 
<laughs> um, hey, if, if video game if video gamers can get full rides i think <laughs> ultimate frisbee deserves that same respect exactly if i can get a scholarship for rocket league why am i not getting one to throw a frisbee but yeah it's different it, it, i mean it's different and it's similar because ultimate frisbee's competitive season is spring but the the nationals and the regionals don't happen until sort of may so we were really only through like three weekend tournaments and we were really getting down to the nitty-gritty of the training schedule and we started hearing rumblings of oh you know this is going on you know lacrosse isn't having people at its at its games neither is baseball and then next thing you know they say we canceled the season and then they say we have to be off campus in a week and it hadn't really set in for me at all and and typically the, what the team does at the end of the year is we all get together and we sort of give the seniors a farewell where we say our favorite moments from the season express how we feel about the seniors and just sort of spread the love and yeah. having to do that in march when for me doing it last year in May, it, it was, I wasn't ready for it. Mm. And, you know, standing outside before we went in for the meeting, throwing a Frisbee, kind of feeling like school was done. It was weird because I was in the mindset of it's the middle of my season. It's the middle of mm. competition. I, you know, I have to get back in the weight room and, or go in condition. <laughs> so yeah, I think in the same ways for you, it was just surreal. It just stopped yeah. so fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that you can't fully, I mean, there's no way to prepare for it. It was completely unforeseen. For me, I had this sort of guilt that I felt that, you know, I'll never be able to see like what those last two months would have been like. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I had to keep telling myself that, you know, this had nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with, I don't want to say fate, but that just, it, it's completely out of my control. Like there was no way that I could have convinced somebody, the NCAA to say, oh, you know what? Hold off for a couple more days so that we can have, yeah. you know, the indoor track championships. Like, excuse me, I was yeah. getting ready for this. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, what are you doing? Like raining on my parade. Um, <laughs> I think once I got past that phase of just being really frustrated and thinking like, what could I done in realizing there's nothing that you could have done once you have that approach in mind i think it became a lot easier for me to accept it still is very difficult to deal with not you know knowing that you had those last few weeks with your closest friends taken away from you but i think it helped me with accepting the situation and, uh, and making the most of of what it was and for me, like that meant we did a lot of, we did some remote races, which kind of sucked. It was just going out there with the training that you had. And my training from that point on was not what I really wanted to be. It was hard to get motivated because there's no competitions for the foreseeable future, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, and I know a lot of other people are, are facing that same kind of dilemma is trying to stay motivated while at the same time trying to, you know, do for, for me as in, as an individual sport and track, you're trying to run your best times. Another team-oriented sports, it's it's harder, right? It's because you don't really have much of a benchmark to go off of, other than like you said, hitting the weight room or conditioning and trying to do better in those respective areas. But I don't know what you think, Jack. It's been it's been really tricky for me, and I guess taking more of a a broader outlook on things. If we think about going forward, something that's really been on my mind is, especially for the big revenue generators, the cash cows of the NCAA, especially this fall, college big time D1 college football. There's been a lot of scenarios tossed out there regarding whether there's going to be a season, depending on the university's policies, whether those, believe it or not, those athletes are students too. So if they're not allowing students on campus, (laughs) believe it or not, newsflash, college football players (laughs) are students too. Maybe hard to believe sometimes. (laughs) Like that whole, that whole dilemma of if 
they're going to have remote classes. And if some if some schools are and some schools aren't, obviously it's different from school to school, how they're going to treat having a college football season. I think that's a really interesting dilemma. I was curious about what your thoughts were in regards to that, Jack. Yeah, I think what first comes to mind is not only will the NCAA be uh, pushing hard, I'm assuming, for there to be a season, but I'm sure that the beer companies will be as well because I'm sure that's like 60% of their revenue is Chad <laughs> in Sigma Alpha Beta who goes and gets three racks before uh, the Sunday college football showdown. But um, yeah, I think it's really, it's a difficult dilemma because one school might come back, another school might do all online, and another school might do something in between. But so as a quote-unquote federation, and you have to have something standard that everybody can adhere to because you've got five power five divisions and then seven other divisions and a couple hundred teams playing and so everybody needs the same system because everybody's got to play each other and if you're going to take records and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. seriously you got to have everything the same so i don't really know i kind of think it's too big of a mountain mm. to climb in the fall i've heard rumblings of everything in the spring all sports which would give more time it's just i just think of how chaotic that would be it's i mean it's like it's hard to foresee (laughs) how things are actually going to play out um, as we've learned over these past couple months but if we're taking that scenario into account it just seems like way too much going on at once i think part of what makes what makes seasonal sports great is that you can fully invest your fandom into one given sport and it would just, I feel like it would really take away from how people pay attention. Like, for instance, I think Major League Baseball has taken quite a quite a hit in past years just because people are more more focused on, you know, the, the athletes in other sports are definitely more marketable and more exciting to watch. In other words, the, those damn millennials <laughs> and damn Gen Zers and Gen Xers are more entertained by LeBron James than Mike Trout. Sorry, Mike Trout, but... That's just the reality at this point. It's just the um, reality of it. So in a similar vein, I, 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 have a, I have a tough time seeing college sports being like that as well. I mean, and especially with restrictions that will probably be stemming from uh, attendance. I can't really see people packing stadiums or, or schools packing stadiums and even in the spring. I, I still feel like they're going to have to have restrictions mm-hmm. before we get a vaccine. I just feel like there's there's so many variables at play here that it, I feel like it's just best to, to keep everything just as, as cautious as you can make it. But, you know, I'm not the one who's like dealing with the amount of revenue that's at stake here. And that's part of what makes a lot of these schools tick, right? It's all about the money, the big bucks. And I, I'm still yeah. I'm still kind of grappling with that dynamic is what I'm trying to say. I think, I think honestly, we all are. It's sort of like, sure, there's a lot of money involved and that money all the time doesn't go to the right revenue streams. But a lot of that money is put towards research, it's put towards scholarships, it's put towards reinforcing the infrastructure and building right. that university's credibility. So like, there actually is a lot mm-hmm. of good that comes from that revenue. And one thing that I just said there was scholarships for athletes and for non-athletes just in general, for athletes specifically, how yeah, how do you offer scholarships? How do you recruit? Because, I mean, Sean, we were talking about this earlier. Like, you, you brought up a great point that a lot of footage on some of these people might be <laughs> a year old, right. might be two years old because of how recently they were able to play. And so how do you how do you recruit? How do you classify recruits and decide who's best to go for? I don't really know what the best option is. I kind of have a feeling that there's going to be this sort of snowball effect where you're going to see high school level sports sort of kind mm. of dwindle for a couple of years because they mm-hmm. can't get the gym they can't get the resources they can't play and get the experience mm-hmm. and then college sports are going to suffer and then professional sports are going to suffer and there's going to be sort of that maybe two or three year set of classes of players like 2020 2021 2022 that come into professional sports mm-hmm. and are just not as good as their mm-hmm. 
older and younger peers because they just right. didn't have the resources. Yeah, the time. I mean, one thing that comes to mind is uh, one of the few pieces that ESPN has put out that has been original, uh, The Last Dance. You think of guys like Jordan, Rodman, and Pippen, how much they developed between most of them. It was about partway through high school, sophomore to junior year. They grew a bunch. You know, they work their tails off. Obviously, they're an extreme case, but they're they're a perfect microcosm of not quite to that extent. <laughs> you know, don't don't take this as you know. If you work hard and you get lucky, you'll become the next Jordan. But um, I think a lot of it is a testament to having that opportunity to improve yourself from year to year. And if you're not going to have that opportunity, it takes it takes away a lot of a lot of what ifs. Like there's there's a, there's plenty of athletes out there who haven't quite hit their growth spurt yet, who are still developing. And just need that extra year of coaching and development to get to that level where, you know, they may be in a situation where they're coming from a background that in order to go to college, they need that sort of support. And whether it's basketball, baseball, football, track, if they don't have that opportunity to show themselves off to those college scouts, it becomes really difficult to gauge how recruiting is going to look. And you're not, and coaches aren't going to take shots in the dark. They want to have a proven athlete. And it's, it's another, it's another one of those issues that it's, it's hard to grapple with because you, you want, you want those athletes to have the full sort of opportunity that comes with putting yourself out there, getting getting film out there, and getting recruited, and hopefully getting money. It's another it's another unfortunate reality that's that's come from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And and like you said too, the coaches aren't just going to take a shot in the dark. There's a lot at stake for these coaches and these programs where their sustainability comes off of bringing in great prospects and producing mm-hmm. better people at the end of it through academic sports and just general life. And so. They're not just going to shoot in the dark. And so where do they go? Who are they looking for? And, you know, does it eventually just become a, well, this kid was good as a sophomore. They're a senior now. So good luck. And I think that you had something to say in this sort of like developing sports programs. I think we had talked a little bit about that. I was wondering what you had to say about how this might affect the development of different sports programs, like specifically at colleges. Like I said, like it's both at a high school and a college level is where you have kids and young adults coming into these programs and you see that improvement over four years. And eventually when you do start out, you are starting out in college, that coaching and all that development that comes with that that athlete's commitment to the sport is going to be stifled. And then instead of having like that a lot of athletes have trouble coming in as freshmen because regardless of what division you are playing a college sport, you're competing against grown men and women. And as a result, you're mm-hmm. kind of faced with a shock to the system. And I'd say about 95% of, of athletes going going up don't fare as well as they expect to. They underperform. And I think having that, if you're having a year of competition taken away from you, like you, that whole development curve is completely thrown off. And instead, you might have three, possibly two and a half years where you're losing that year, year and a half to just not having the opportunity to, to compete at all. And I think it's it really is it's sad and but at the end of the day there's nothing you can do about it. It's, we have to prioritize public health and especially with with contact sports like basketball, football, there's just no way to if somebody is sick, there's no way to prevent it from spreading if someone who isn't properly diagnosed ends up competing and it it'll end up spreading quickly. So it it, it really is it's a it's a sad reality, but I think it's something that I think it's best to be cautious about. And that's if that's one thing that we've learned, and I think that there's no exception to sports. And as you know, as much as it sucks, I think the way universities and colleges are approaching it now is the right way to go about it. In another vein, shifting gears a bit, we're discussing other clubs and activities, non-sports related. Believe it or not, folks, we do have people we know and uh, people we know and love who do participate in clubs and activities that are non-sports related. So I'm going to begin by introducing. 
my brother who had the opportunity to talk about his experience with acting as a freshman first year actor for his university. So we're going to give you a listen to that for a bit and uh, we'll come back to you to discuss more about the broader implications in that realm of clubs and activities. My name is Colin Lonergan. I am going to be a sophomore BFA musical theater major at Kent State University in Ohio this fall. Um, the pandemic did not really make life and learning new things for my major that much easier. It's a performance-based major, so it's kind of hard to work with teachers on performing aspects over something like a Zoom call. Luckily, the classes that I was taking were not as were not singing based, it was mostly acting, so that was much easier to do over Zoom calls, but it was more just doing it, it sitting in front of a camera, when in the class in person we would actually do like a monologue in the setting of the scene. So while I think it was lucky that it wasn't singing classes, if this continues next year and the and we have to do virtual classes for classes that I have that are much more singing based and we have an accompanist that accompanist that plays our accompaniment for us for songs it's much harder to do that over a zoom call it would have to be recorded accompaniment which is much harder to work with when you want to put variety into your performing I think that performing majors have one of the hardest and just most a lot of art majors have one some of the hardest Thing, problems to deal with for like art majors having materials and for performing majors having access to music and scripts makes it was much easier at school because there were libraries that had all that and it's much easier to find there than having to go online. I think that the way the teachers handled it was done very well. I think the hardest performance class I had to deal with was dance, and that was mostly just because dance is kind of hard to teach over a Zoom call without having asked me, like, what we would usually do is do exercises with dancing, but that's hard to do because it depends on the timing people have, the spaces that they have to dance, and if they have a decent enough space to dance in. So, um, yeah, being a performing major, it was really hard to, to learn in this situation. Luckily, because of my classes, it could have been harder. So that was Colin, my, my younger brother, talking about his experience um, acting for his theater school in Ohio, Kent State. Brought a lot of insight indeed. That poses the question regarding how schools are going to treat these student-led clubs and activities going forward. Jack, I was wondering if you wanted to start, give your take on how, how, we, how we see that transpiring going forward. Yeah, I think it's going to depend because there's this constant struggle between the administration and students of sort of jockeying for power, where students are always vying for more independence, more agency to take their clubs they're in and do with it what they want. Where the administration and something like this with COVID and everything and the sort of guidelines they might have to institute might put their foot down and say, no, this time we are going to lay the law and you're going to follow. And so I think it's kind of tough because you look at something like I had a campus radio show and that's totally student run. One of the, there's a guy who lives in the community, isn't even a Oberlin employee, I think, who is very integral in the whole process. And 
everything's student run, everything's student organized, but we all sit in front of one receiver and one control board mm. and there's no sort of sanitation process or anything like that. So I don't think that the students are going to be very open to the college coming in there and laying down sort of guidelines, but I think that that's probably what's going to have to be done if you want to keep these clubs continuing because otherwise the school is just going to have to cut funding because it's probably too dangerous. Right. I think I, I agree with what you had to say there. I don't want to say it's cut and dry, but I don't think there's as much wiggle room as a lot of clubs and activities would like. And I think if they're not willing to acclimate to the guidelines that the college sets, then I think the college has, college or university has the right to either cancel or postpone that activity until they until they abide by those guidelines. I think it's health and safety first, and there, there might even be uh, activities altogether, maybe dance clubs or, or theater clubs or a lot of activities that involve a lot of close, close contact where that's pretty integral to what you're doing that might have to be ra- drastically altered. And it's, it's really too bad, but I think it's similar to sports. It's if we can't, if we can't know for sure that there isn't going to be community spread among these activities and clubs, there's it's not worth it to risk the safety of the petri dish that is the college campus at large. <laughs> I I think that's just it's silly to you know put the needs of of one a single activity over the well being of the entire campus when the administration's working hard to ensure that the students, uh, faculty, and staff are taken care of and are safe and aren't putting themselves at unnecessary risk. Um, so that, that's kind of my my general view on it. I, and I know it's difficult. I mean, both of us being students and student-athletes who who have participated in clubs that are really important to our, our day-to-day college life, I think it's, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow, but I think at the end of the day, it's very much necessary to abide by those guidelines. And in some cases, it might, it might require some clubs to be shut down. I mean, I think everyone would agree that a huge part of what a college community is made of and where it kind of gets its strength from is those clubs' cultures, those sports cultures, all of those sort of intertwining to, I know a person who's on the volleyball team and they know a person who's in the Africana Drum Club and they know somebody who's in improv. And so if I wanted to do improv club, I know someone who knows someone who knows someone and then I meet somebody new and then I've made a new connection on campus. Right. I'm in a new club, I know a new person, and that sort of like strengthens that community, but we're going to have to sort of see a change to that, Mm. I think, because that's just because of how the health guidelines are going to be, that things might be a little bit more in their own sort of cones, Mm -hmm. and you, you might see there be some adjustment to that sort of community. But I don't think that there's, I don't think that college is going to be a totally different experience when we come back. I think there's a certain strength in those communities that I think will hold through. I agree. And on that note, we're back at you with another set of Trump quotes. I'm going to hand the baton to Jack to start off. Jack, what do you have for us? God, what an idiot. Yeah, it's the favorite reoccurring segment (laughs) for our hundreds of thousands of listeners. You heard it here first. It's what keeps us on the air. Honestly, the hundreds of thousands of people that are donating to us. (laughs) And you hear that if you're listening, go and donate because uh, we got to keep this thing running. They're paying us the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Pay us the big bucks. Yeah, we have a we have a super pack. So uh, send us that big dark money. <laughs> it's been a crazy week everywhere. We haven't really touched on anything, but I mean, our thoughts and prayers go out to everybody, and we hope everybody's safe. But somebody who's not sending out those thoughts and prayers and good vibes is Donald Trump. 
And so uh, I have a quote from him and I'm just going to read it to you and then I'm going to, I want to hear Sean's reaction. So he said, here we go again. Fake news at CNN is blaming Russia, Russia, Russia. They're sick losers and very, with very bad ratings. P.S. Can't blame China because they need cash? Question mark. Sean, what do you think? Oh man, I mean, like fake news is nothing new. That's something that's been there since the inception of uh, the Trump Twitter handle. But what else can you expect? We got some. We got some good caps. All we got some Russia times three. <laughs> we got good finger pointing action going on. He must remind us that the CNN ratings are very bad. They can't get any worse. They even left a PS for for us as well. Um, to this this extensive uh, note that he left for us on his on his Twitter. Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty quintessential Trump demonizing foreign powers. Jack, what, what, what else do you see in this? I think there's only really two other things that stick out to me. The double burn of sick losers <laughs> with, you know, not only are they sick, but they're also losers. Um, and that's just I don't know how CNN will financially recover from this. And then the only other thing I would say is the postscript is a question mm. and i'm not really entirely sure who he is getting who he wants the answer from <laughs> because uh if he hasn't noticed he's president so typically people come to him for the answers so i have a feeling this question won't get answered <laughs> but uh sean i heard you had a good quote brewing so i'm excited to hear what you have to say oh yeah this is this is one that really stuck out to me um this one is in regards to the protests in philadelphia in the wake of the George Floyd tragedy. Uh, I'm going to go out and read it and I'm going to give my take. Uh, so, law and order in Philadelphia. Now, all caps. They are looting stores. Call in our great National Guard like they finally did. Finally in all caps. Parentheses, thank you, President Trump. Last night in Minneapolis. <laughs> Is this what voters want with Sleepy Joe? All Dems. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to dissect this as carefully as I can just to make sure I got the full rundown. Um, the first thing that sticks out to me is the parenthetical self-congratulatory comments. Um, <laughs> this, this Jack, we were talking about a little bit before our recording. This, this sounds like the insecure stepfather re reassuring himself um, as, as he does something nice for his, uh, his stepson that just isn't, isn't, quite, isn't quite feeling this new dynamic. It, it seems really forced and uncomfortable don't you think uh totally it's that sort of oh good morning timmy oh look who made your lunch oh that was me oh thank you me <laughs> and then timmy just screams you're not my real dad and then runs out that's essentially what happened <laughs> you know gotta give yourself a nice pat on the back when you're just when you're doing what you what you set out to do and you know <laughs> he called in the great national guard and the national guard made an appearance and whether they actually did the job that they were supposed to do? That's another conversation that, like we said, there's like like many issues that we touch on in these podcasts. We can have a whole other podcast on, but we're focusing on the the Trumpisms that come from this tweet and dissecting those. So that, that was the first thing that came to mind for me. Um, the other one is the reoccurrence of Sleepy Joe. Um, what is a Trump tweet without one of his name calling or one one of his aliases for his many uh, opponents? Um, so Sleepy Joe made another appearance. Clearly, all the Democrats are at fault here um, as well. So uh, you, you got to vote for him because there's no other. There's no Every other option. single Democrat. All Democrats are at fault here. Now, that's not to say that the way it's been handled in Minneapolis and other cities is has been perfect. But clearly, every all Democrats are at fault. And I think I, 
Jack, if I'm understanding this quote correctly, I think we have really no other option but to vote Trump 2020. Well, you see, the interesting thing is, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think there's no other option. But uh, it's interesting because he says, is this what voters want with Sleepy Joe? But voters are getting this currently with Donald Trump. <laughs> and so it's interesting that he kind of poses this sort of like hypothetical future. of This is what you'll have with Joe Biden. Right. But we already have it with you. And so what's really the change if we just go with Joe Biden? It's kind of uh, got a little inception embedded in this tweet. Yeah. And you see, that's that's the beauty of it is he says, you already have it with me. So is this what you want with Joe Biden? Because he's sleepy and I'm awake right now. <laughs> and so he's really telling you, you have no other choice. It's me. Joe Biden's asleep. I'm always awake. Do you really want to be? <laughs> do you really want to be asleep when you don't know you're asleep? Do you want to be inside a dream, inside you, another dream? <laughs> do you want a president who sleeps? A normal amount and like has normal dreams and isn't racist and doesn't tweet at you all the time or do you want me because look what you get with me because you'll have this with joe biden so exactly. think about exactly. it exactly it's basically what he said i mean if you want to say goodbye to all caps tweets then then vote joe biden but nobody wants to say goodbye to all caps tweets so no you know no. I, yeah i i think as he has done with every other tweet we've gone through i think he has me convinced after after going into the dirty details i I understand where he's coming from, and but you know it looks like the conclusion's been reached. Absolutely. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and on that note, I'm gonna leave you with that, folks. This concludes episode five of COVID College. We're coming back to you with our final episode, Sad Violin, focusing <laughs> on the world's largest sad violin. The world's largest sad violin. Sad violin. Talking about graduation and the pandemic and future plans. Stay tuned. You're not gonna want to miss it. Till then, this is Sean. And this is Jack. This has been COVID College. COVID College is written and produced by Jack Pobolaitis, Sean Lonergan, and Sydney Pobolaitis. The show is edited by Sydney Pobolaitis, and the cover art is made by Grace Martin. The intro music is made by Kevin McLeod. <laughs>